It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group. No purchase necessary. Avoid where prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Irreverent, entertaining, cool. You're listening to LA Talk Radio. You're listening to Answers Network with Alan Cardoza, only on LA Talk Radio. Thank you for joining us and welcome to another edition of Answers Network. I'm your host, Alan Cardoza, and each week this show will bring on special guests that can inspire, educate, and in some cases entertain while bringing answers and options to making our lives happier, healthier, and more successful. Answers Network will address many ways of creating greater health, joy, and love for you and your loved ones. And we will introduce you to top professionals and talented authors who are working to make this world a better place for all of us. Now, I'd really appreciate it if you could all do me a big favor. Please forward at least one of our shows to your social media group and to someone you know who can benefit from today's subject. Now, if you are tired of the negativity that we are bombarded with daily, this is one powerful way that we can make a positive difference together. Now, before we get to our guest, I want you to know that I am grateful to all of you who take your precious time to listen to or watch this show, and especially those who are sending in questions, comments, reviews, and suggestions, because please remember, this show exists for you. Now, if you haven't gotten your free copy of the Attitude of Gratitude Journal yet, please go to our website at answers.network and download a copy, give it 21 days, and comment on whatever platform you listen to us on, what focusing on gratitude has meant to you and your family. Now, what if you could achieve greater balance, inner peace, vitality, and overall well-being in six and a half days? Well, our topic today is cracking the learning code. Our guest J.W. Wilson is the executive director of the Advanced Learning Institute, an organization which researches, develops, and implements scientific-based learning programs. J.D. is also the author of the soon-to-be-published book, Cracking the Learning Code, which is the accumulation of over 20 years of scientific research into how to accelerate the learning code and enhance its effectiveness. 
Now, the key finding is that each one of us has a genetically implanted learning code, which must be turned on before we can create long-term memory and behavioral change. JD's crusade is to bring this essential knowledge to the world. JW, welcome to Answers Network. Thanks, Alan. I appreciate it. Hey, it is it, great to have you, you here. This is what a lot of people do. You put me up with JD, which is juvenile delinquent, which I still oh. have. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so it's JW, but it's okay. Everybody does that. Oh, and you know what? Well, my apologies, and and I can tell you, it, it isn't because of that. It's it's more because of the fact that um, one of my favorite baseball players is JD Martinez. There you go. That's okay. what happens. And, and I was just I was just looking this morning. I was kind of looking at at how he's been doing so far this season. Uh, so my my apologies there. Um, uh, I, I've enjoyed um, looking at what you're doing. And was really surprised in some areas as to um, what's out there that that we just haven't brought out to the public. Uh, so, but before we get into that, so share with us a little bit about what led you to discover this learning code. Well, I was in the television and publishing business. I've done about twenty five startups to pay for the research to do what we're doing here at the institute, and. I'm a little hyperactive. I'm a little ADHD. I did not fit the education system. Um, but what when I started, when I got out of the educational system, um, and I majored in criminology, a world you're familiar with, um, and did a little work for the government, I started to get interested in really in business. And I worked on Madison Avenue for a while in, in marketing and advertising. It occurred to me at the time that we were using strategies there were hit and miss. You know, we had all these ideas about you see something six times, it'll change you. We had all these kind of all these myths. And I got interested to see with the scientific basis behind them. Um, and at the time, I was running a television station in a publishing business in the Pacific in Hawaii. And I went up in the mountains this is in the 1980s and read every book there was on how to accelerate the speed of learning and behavior change. You know how many there were? No. How many? Five. Learning on both sides of your brain, mind mapping, the learning revolution. I eventually met almost everybody that wrote those books. I went. I was on a mission. I went up there, read those books, came down after two weeks, and I told my office, we're no longer in the TV and publishing business. We're in the learning business. We're going to get people to learn how to buy our products and services. And we're going to take, at the time, a scientific approach. They just thought I was nuts. Um, and but it really started to work. We started to see, are we getting people to move? You know, we did a lot of research. Eventually, in the 90s, I went to the Salk Institute, MIT, to Harvard, met with kind of the leading people in those areas, like Howard Gardner, who did seven intelligences, and started to understand that the brain was only part of the part of the issue. We really needed to understand the underlying genetic mechanisms that built the brain. And then when turned on, caused the brain to change. Right. Um, so it's really taken us about 30 years to go back and reverse the 6,000 genes that control neurological function, how to turn them on so we can dramatically create incredible motivation, learning, and behavior change with a lot less pain and a lot less stress. So that's what we've been doing. Now, it's interesting because um, uh, there's a story that I tell in regards to my son, uh, who was in the public school system at the time. 
and um, he had gone through grade school. I mean, getting straight A's, doing doing great, and and I always knew that he was very very bright. And uh, when he got into high school, things dropped off, and all of a sudden he wasn't doing well. And I was called in to meet with the school, and I met with them, and they proceeded to say, "Don't worry." We can move him and we'll put him with the, the the slower kids and he'll be able to do just fine. And I said, wait a minute. Um, and I played them a, 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 a text or I read them a text that he had sent me. And essentially what the text said was he was asking me if I would help him in purchasing some property in Africa get that, that gets struck that gets struck 2000 times a week with lightning and that he wants to harness that. He's already done the research that there's an underground stream that goes to the city, and he wants to talk to Elon Musk to be able to get a battery system that can store this energy to to give it to this village. And well, so he's I got said, learning problems, doesn't he? Exactly. And I said to them, to the school, which didn't make me popular, and I said, so does this sound like somebody who needs to be with the slow kids, or is this somebody who's bored silly with the way in which you guys are trying to teach this? And I said, oh, and by the way, and I told them, and I said, as I was reading it, and I said, and by the way, I said, he was sending me this during school time. You know, you know, and I looked He's at the so time, and, and, and I even said, and I said, I said, wait a minute, aren't you supposed to be in class? You know, so so yes, I you know there's a a frustration with um, the way in which you know we've been learning, um, which which uh, while we're on that subject, um, how do you think that this mode of learning has flown beneath the radar of our educational system for well, let me all go this back time? A, yeah. okay. Let me or, go back to your. Go ahead. No. Okay. Yeah. Uh, go, go ahead. I'll come back to that question and go ahead and tell me about. I was going to go back say. to your son's class. Yeah. So the kids that were in the slow class, they're not slow. Right. Their brain plan just just does not meet the educational brain plan. Yeah. So you you asked a question which is pretty profound, really. It goes back to Aristotle, Plato, and Socrates, three hundred and fifty B- BC. You know, a very long time ago. You know, 2,300 plus years ago, um, basically was when the educational system that we use today was developed. We don't really look at that. But at that time, do you know how many things you needed to know to know just about everything in the time of Plato and Aristotle? I have no idea. There was about a thousand. When you got into the Middle Ages, there were about 3,000. You needed to do the stirrup, the spur. You needed to understand how to plant. There were some things you needed to know. But really, there wasn't much to know. It was estimated that the knowledge at the time was doubling about once every thousand years. So whatever you used learned 500 years ago would pretty much work today. I mean, or, or 500 mm-hmm. years later. Well, today, do you know what the knowledge doubling rate is in the world? No, I don't. It's about 12 to 18 months. So you're not going to a brain surgeon that the last time he learned something new was th- three years ago. Because information is doubling so quickly. The same thing is happening to the education system. We've got this idea that you can memorize all the information you need to survive. Well, most of us, think about your own life, the people watching this television show, of all the tens of thousands of things you memorize, how much do you remember right now? Well, probably about 5%. So what that other 95%, all that effort, all that fear, all that worry, all those tests, all that staying up is wasted. 
So literally we have a system that is, Aristotle and Plato did not build a system on neurobiology. They built a system on you could memorize a thousand things in up to 18 years and you know all the knowledge that existed. We can't use a system today that does that. Another thing that happened is Plato, Aristotle, and Socrates, and most educators have what's called a left temporal lobe dominance, where finite math and language are. When I speak to teachers and I say, who in here got good grades, you know what percent raised their hand? No. 95%. When When I speak to entrepreneurs and I ask them what percent got A's, you know what percent raised their hand? I don't know. About 7%. Wow. So we've got a mismatch between what the educational system is teaching and what those that are changing our world are doing. And if you take the five or six top people in the world right now, Jobs, you know, it's not alive any longer. But if you go back to Jobs, Wozniak at, at, uh, at Apple, Dell, Alan Gates, Ted Turner, um, Richard Branson, you know what their degrees are in? Life. Yeah, they don't have degrees. None of them have exactly. a degree. It's in life. Yeah, I don't even think Richard Branson finished high school. So really what happens is we, we're, we're not getting from our educational system what we, what we have, really we believe we are. And it's because it's not based on neurobiology. We reversed engineered these 6,000 genes that control neurological function. When they're turned on, they express proteins and enzymes that change the shape of your brain, which is what learning, motivation, and behavior change is. We don't have any systems based on that at the moment. Now, we've started doing this with educational systems in Canada. We work with Masters Academy, and they're using a lot of our science. And after applying it, their standardized test scores are about 300% higher than the province average. And they do they can finish what they need to do in 20% less time compared to other educators. And recently, we uh, Claremont University, we've now got a course, Cracking the Learning Code for Teachers, how to use neuroscience to be the best teacher in the world and cracking the learning code for homeschool parents, how to use neuroscience to be the best parent in the world. And Claremont University, which many people call the Yale of the West, has a, has a certificate course where you can get a certificate from them in taking one of our courses. So they think, as well as a lot of big-time educators think, that this science is going to completely transform the way we... Well, which then leads right into the, the next question, which was, you know, how has this mode of, of learning flown beneath the radar in our educational system. And then my question is, or has it? Because in in Alan Bloom's uh, 1987 book, The Closing of the American Mind, he suggests that that among other things, uh, that the dumbing down of our educational system is intentional and political. Um, Now, if that isn't the case, what are your thoughts on it? Well, I'm less of a conspiracy theory. You know, I spent a lot of time in schools. Um, these teachers are committed. Don't every, you know, they wanted 90% of these teachers are there for the right reason to help children. Their souls are in the right place. Absolutely. There's the system is not. So I don't think there's a a conscious effort to make people stupid. Now, if you go back to where the education system came from, um, Horace Mann, who was in the, in the 1800s was in, in, in Massachusetts we had one-room schoolhouses, he went over to Germany, the Prussians, mm-hmm. and the Prussians had had their butt kicked by Napoleon, and they decided that was never going to happen again. So they decided to set up a factory model of education, like a conveyor belt. So you mm-hmm. go into class one, class two, 
class three, and then it, within the day you go into other classes, whether it's you know whether it's uh, language or whether it's math or whether it's science. So it was like a conveyor belt. So they developed a mechanistic model, which Horace Mann embraced, came back to America and developed that for America. So we have an industrial model of education that puts a child on a conveyor belt and treats them like a machine. We are not machines. Our biology is not a machine. We strive to, to get passion in our hearts and our souls, and we want to add value to the world, and we want joy every day if we can get it, and we want relationship. So right now, our, our education system is built on a really fallacy, that our brains learn like a machine. And in, in, I don't think it's a fault of the academics or of the legislators. It's that we haven't had an alternative up till now. The only thing we saw was lock you in a box, talk to you for 18 years, have you memorize a bunch of sick stuff, excuse my language, then you go out into the real world and you're supposed to kick butt. Well, the problem is that program has got it where 70% of us live paycheck to paycheck and 66% of us are not very happy in life. So that system is not working too good. Well, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, and uh, when I did the introduction, I mentioned about, um, you know, six and a half days. And so to to let the audience know what I was getting at in that, uh, you have something that you talk about called the uh, Hoffman process. Um, well, that's not mine. That's a that is a that's a process really in Canada. Well, yes. they're all over the world, really, and they've done a tremendous job of helping people break through their barriers in life, in relationships, with sex, with uh, love, with alcohol, drugs, those kinds of things. In in six days. We just consult to them and, and right. have helped them over the years. We have a lot of different companies that we think add value to the world. But they have a tremendous program that helps an awful lot of people. A friend of mine, Darren Weeks, helped develop that in Canada with the group up there. And it's going tremendous. But it's all over the country. So anybody that's yeah. looking to change their lives, that's a pretty phenomenal program. That's an in-person program now um, that you can go to in six days and have tremendous changes because there's tremendous biological change happening. Without biological change, there's no behavior change. Well, let's talk about that. What are some of the things that uh, that people can do? And and you mentioned that they're doing in-person now, but uh, you know, are they also doing Zoom? Is there also other ways for people that maybe aren't comfortable with traveling yet? Uh, you know, oh, yeah. Like for our stuff, like all of our programs are designed for online. Here, here's the okay. problem with reading. What book did you read five books ago? Well, uh, how much of it do you remember? Uh, well, language is great. There's a, there, in neuroscience, there's, a, there's a, a principle called the heavy and synaptual learning rule, which means the more lear- neurons that fire, the more learning that happens. And so when I'm reading a book, I'm firing, I'm firing information in my left temporal lobe where words are. It's about 5% of neural tissue. This is why you remember your first kiss, which fires all your neural tissue tissue, and not your last history class. Your last history class at most was fine three to five percent. Your first kiss fired a hundred percent. So what we don't do is we don't look at our educational system is are we firing enough neurons in students' brains to cause the physiological changes that's going to change their life or not? So we just have to start kissing our teachers. <laughs> That wouldn't be, they could probably use a little love right now on that, yeah. on that online learning they're doing. Yeah. 
in in a way, no. So to go back to it, we start off. You know, it's fascinating. I'll go into a school, and I've been into. I can't tell you how many schools doing this research before we started because I'd go in and I go, okay, here's the science. What are we doing? And then I'd go back and think and say, okay, here's what we're doing right. Here's what we're doing wrong in our educational system. Now this is over 30 years. So as the science, as our science got more advanced. And so what we found was an interesting thing. No, you are born with an overabundance of neurons in one part of your brain that no other human on the face of this planet has. There's 7.5 billion of us on the face of the earth, and no two of us have any two neurons connected in our brain in the same way. Okay. What does that mean? Each one of us is giving, give, has been given a gift that makes us a genius. It's something our neighbor isn't. The problem is our educational system does not recognize it. So they take people like your son or me, and they put you in the slow world. Mm-hmm. They don't say, oh, my God, this child... Alan's child has a brain plan that allows him to see how to put the world together and take lightning and put it into a box and change the world. They don't see that. They don't even ask the question. So when I work with educators and I say, look, the first thing we have to do is stimulate those overabundance of neurons that each child is born in that specific brain area. And they go, how do you do that? It's really simple. Just ask them what's meaningful to them right now in their life, whether they're in first grade or or in high school. And so what we find is if we can ask a child what's meaningful to them, whether it's comic books, football, soccer, whether it's art, whatever it happens to be, science, mm-hmm. and then what we do is we, we call it wrapping we, because those existing neurological structures are going to dictate what's meaningful to them. But we've got an education system that never asks the child what's meaningful to them. We just tell them what they ought to be thinking starting day one. So we find when, when, the, when a teacher breaks or a breaks kids into group of five or three, and he has them write down three times what is most meaningful to them. And then what the teacher does is she she takes or he takes that list, and then she helps the child learn geography or geometry by looking at where you're kicking the soccer ball or where you're hitting the cue cue ball or some other thing. We wrap it in what's already meaningful to the child. And once you do that, the child will self-direct the learning. The reason the child doesn't want to learn is because you're forcing them to learn things that have no relationship to the structures that dictate meaning in their own lives. So you got to beat them with a stick. <laughs> which, which we know doesn't help either. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, so what I hear you saying is, is that, and it kind of goes to I think what I believe in, but also what, what, what many, um, many people are saying is, you know, focus on what you're passionate about. Right. Yeah. Now, now, here's the deal. We, we call it peeling the onion. You, you can ask a kid why he likes soccer. And then you say, he's going to say, because I love to run around. Well, then you ask the next, why do you love to run? Well, when I run around, I feel like I'm really joyful or whatever. You can tell right away that kid's not going to learn good sitting down for eight hours a day. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, you're just going to, duh. You know, he's got a, I, I had a primary physiological, this is your sensory motor strip on the top here. That was one of my primary dominances. I played football, soccer, wrestled, track, all that stuff because it self-stimulated my joy. So, but a lot of kids have like a parietal lobe where they like to see the world in time and space. They like to see how to fit the world on a computer chip. You know, they might like computers a lot more. But without, there's some kids that are musical dominance. I had two kids that were both musical dominance. The school system didn't even know what a musical dominant was. 
So we can talk about learning math by understanding how the notes on a trombone play and what basically what the math was to get that out of the trombone. So basically, when you start tying knowledge to what's already meaningful to, to the child, everything starts to change. Now, is, is, that, is, is that what you refer to in your book when you refer to the word um, selectionism? Uh, it's well, the, that's. It, it yes. stood out. It stood out so much when I was reading it that uh, I wanted to make sure that we touched on it. It's probably one of the most important things that we can understand. It was the thing that shocked me the most when I was doing the. Re- what would happen to me is I, I'd get a, an area of research and I'd start researching, and then a year and a half later I'd come out. <laughs> so what happened to me? There's a guy named Gerard Edelman that wrote four books that are almost impenetrable. He won a Nobel Prize for the theory of. Um, for really a disease model of a selectionist model. But what he found was in neuroscience was that the brain selected in information on what already existed in the brain. It's like a bat can see, it can hear and see things that we can't. It can select in information because of the structures that are there. A tiger can can smell a smell miles away that we could never smell. Why? Because the structures were already in there that allowed him to do that. So what we found was we select in on meaning. So what is meaningful to us, the brain searches the environment and selects in on meaning. This is why kids that play a lot of video games today and comes out and 100,000 on the line up to buy it because they're meaningful to them. But if we really looked at what video games they were playing, whether it's car racing or wars or building cities, we'd learn a lot more about what is deeply meaningful to that child and then start supplying information that satiates, satiates those networks that desire it. Unfortunately, right now, the parents, the educators, in a way have abandoned our ability to access meaning in children, which we should do as the, as the wisdom of, the, of, of our species. We should help children gr- grow more of what is already meaningful to them, their genetic gift that they were given. Now, here's the problem, and this is very scary. You get 20 watts of power through your carotid vertebral artery. When you're born up until about seven years, six years old, that's going to your gift. That's why some kids are beating on pots and pans. Some kids are big building Legos. Some kids are out throwing footballs, whatever they're doing. Basically, they're satiating what's already meaningful to them. They're learning so quickly, but by the time they're seven, do you know how many words they've learned without anybody teaching them anything? Mm-mm. About 13,000. They didn't have uh-huh. to memorize one thing. How did they learn those 13,000 words? They went out and they looked around and they used the words to get more of what was meaningful to them, whether it was comic books or whatever, food or whatever it happened to be. So learning is directed by meaning. And what happens is there's two levels of selection. There's genetic selection. Like, let's say that you're you're Steve Jobs or Bill Gates. You've got a parietal lobe that helps you figure out how to put things together in time and space. You've got a very large parietal lobe. So immediately you've find those things are interesting. School didn't help either one of those guys. That's why they didn't finish college. They dropped out. Right. So what we found was if you can understand what is meaningful to a child young, then you can take that blood flow because here's what happens. After about seven years old, that blood flow is going to their gift. After seven, we put them in the classroom and we direct the blood flow away from their gift. And we direct it to the left temporal lobe where finite math and language are. So what do you think happens to their gift if it's in another part of the brain? It literally starts to atrophy. Yeah. And like so now, 
kid comes out of school and says, well, Bobby, you've been in school for 18 years. You went to college. What do you want to be? And he goes, I don't know. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I mean, it's dangerous. And we don't get what we're doing by not stimulating in children. So then, when, to go back to your question, or your, your question was, what Edelman figured out was the brain learns through selection, not instructive. The brain selects in on meaning. And when I got that, I recognized that all education systems, all academic systems that didn't go in through the existing neurological meaning structures of a child or an adult's brain caused so much stress that it almost impeded the system of learning. Folks, we are talking with J.W. Wilson. His book coming out in June is called Cracking the Learning Code. Uh, stay with us. Uh, we're going to be uh, we're going to be going a little deeper into this. And if you know somebody that has children, especially if they are in the public school system, you, you need to contact them now. <laughs> While we're going through the break, contact them and tell them, hook on, listen to this show. This is something that we all need to be listening to. Yeah. So, so stay with us. We'll be right back. You're listening to Answers Network. Founded over 30 years ago to meet the needs of families in crisis, Westfield has continually focused on resolving issues that negatively impact families and businesses. Our signature therapeutic transportation service helps to ensure that adolescents in crisis are safely transported to specialized schools, programs, and treatment centers with unsurpassed experience and success. We are supported by our full-service licensed investigation agency that has legally, professionally, and compassionately located hundreds of runaways and teens to help, offering solutions which may include referrals to our international network of top professionals in the fields of educational consulting, psychology, psychiatry, and investigations. Simply put, Westfield Adolescent Services and Westfield Investigations are the best solutions when your family is facing a personal crisis. Call 1-800-899-8585, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. That's 1-800-899-8585, or visit our website at westshield.com. Thank you. pre-copy to be able to to gain so much of this information. But in chapter three, you talk about the reason for learning failure. Uh, And you use a quote from John Dewey, uh, the famous American philosopher and psychologist, uh, and he was also an educational reformer. But the quote reads, "If if we teach today's students as we taught yesterday's, we rob them of tomorrow. Uh, Share your thoughts on this very profound statement, because uh, I love the way in which that is put. And I know you've touched on a little bit of why we we need to grow from what was ancient uh, education. 
But talk about the robbing them of tomorrow. I mean, just think about it. So our education system today, as we've designed it, whether you think the educators did it on purpose or the government didn't, it doesn't really make any difference. As humans, we're not getting what we want to wake up every morning with a sparkle in our eye, singing a tune, jumping out of bed going, I can't wait for the day, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, most of us are dragging our butts onto the next Zoom call to try to figure out how to make a dime so we can take that two-week vacation. You know, it's 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 pretty messy. You know, our lives don't have to be like this. Mm-hmm. Um, but what happens is I was talking about before, when you take that 20 watts of power, you shift it away from your gift uh, that you were born with. And then that that gift start to atrophy. And then you start trying to lose use only the strategies you learned in an education system, which didn't show you how to get rich, happy, joyful, have wonderful relationships with other people. Didn't teach you any of the stuff. That's right. important in our lives, right? I mean, there's nothing to be more important than relationships. There's not a class on relationships in most places. You know, there's nothing better than pursuing a goal that gives you joy and fulfillment. Nobody talks about that in education. They talk about getting an A. I don't know if you know the, the research. The research on valedictorians is not so pretty. No, I you didn't know? know that. Yeah. So you you there's a, there's a woman, um, Catherine Arnold, that followed valedictorians for years. Um, I forget with Boston University, University of Boston. Um, but anyway, she she did seminal work in what she found is these. So what happens is if you've already got an overabundance of neurons in your left upper lobe, you fit the education system. You fit the teacher's brain plan. Right. Right. And so everybody loves you. You you're ahead of the newspaper. You get on 40 clubs, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And then you go to the good to the go to the good schools. It's kind of self-selected into that. But so what, what happens is they've already got an overabundance of neurons in one part of their brain. But what we found was they then go out in the real world and they try to use the system that had them succeed in the educational system. Well, that freaking brain plan doesn't work so well out in the real world. So these guys that got valedictorians and got A's, they end up in cubicles. They're not very happy. Their depression rates are there. It doesn't work for them. Now, it does for some, but for a lot of them, it does not. And it doesn't do them a gift. So they keep trying to use what worked in the educational system in real life. They go, give me an A, give me an A. It's almost a codependent system. Right. You know, because anyway. No, I was going to say something that drives that point home that I read uh, by Elon Musk, where Elon Musk said he does not hire straight A students. He said that that eliminates them from the process when he is hiring top people, that he goes for people. Uh, that are, I think he put it more diverse in their thinking and have not been so so uh, channeled into one way of thinking, which is get that grade, get that grade, rather than thinking outside the box. He said he needs people that think outside the box. And that's a disservice to those valedictorians. It's a disservice to those A students that you're going to be successful in the world if you get A's. Yeah, you may get a great job in a cubicle, having somebody tell you what to do the rest of your life, but you may not be able to express your joy and your your other gifts other than your left temporal lobe the way that you would like to. Um, and so it's it, overall, it's not fair, um, the system that we've got. It rewards people. In the end, that reward could punish them in the long run. And it punishes people that have a diverse, different way of thinking, that have a brain plan that doesn't fit the system. That's why those kids in the slow cast, 
they're not slow. They just yeah. learn in a different way. Right. And in, and that's actually a, um, a statement that I've used in many times when working with at-risk kids that um, when I would greet them and part of my job in many cases was that I was going to be taking them to a specialized program and, and they would say something along the lines, you're just like everybody else. You just, you just think that I'm stupid or you just think that I'm a loser or you just think whatever. Right. And, and what I would tell them is uh, no, on the contrary, what, what I see is somebody who is right now thinking outside the bubble. And I said, there's a bubble in which society wants you to stay within and you're operating outside of that. I'm not asking you to change that, but I am saying that if this particular uh, situation has drawn you to, to react by doing drugs or things like that, because, because you are doing that, let's focus on not doing the drugs and just go somewhere where people are going to be able to say, I accept you exactly the way in which you are, and I'm going to help you learn the way in which you learn. And that's what many of the programs that we take these young people to. They realize that that they're self-medicating because they're not being accepted for who they really are. Yeah, there's true. So what happens is you're born with an overabundance of neurons or, or neural connections in your brain. Mm-hmm. Um and what those neural connections do is you've got about 15,000 connections per neuron until you're about seven years old. But in between five and seven, your brain starts wiping them out at about two, two million a second. Why? Because what your job, the brain, what you, evolutionary biology gives us some real insights to how our brain operates. What we found was that you needed to fit. That's what Darwin meant. He didn't mean survival the fittest, the biggest biceps or the fleetest feet. What he meant, those organisms that best fit the environment survived the best. Hmm. He was misinterpreted by a bunch yeah. of people who I'd go into someday. But so what we found was the brain plans that best fit the environment do the best. You would say that Elon Musk is fitting the environment. It's electronics. It's putting electric cars. It's putting guys on the moon. So no matter how crazy the guy might be or how many drugs he might do on the side, the guy, he's lame. What we need to figure out is how to help people figure out where they are at this time in the world and how they can use their existing brain plan to fit the world the best way so they can make the most change. So what happens with our children, as these neurons start getting wiped out, if you live in an abusive family, if you live in a dysfunctional family, literally, as these neurons are starting to get weeded out, because they're there to help you figure out whether you're Polish, whether you're Lebanese, or whether you're Indian, or whether you're Mm -hmm. you're Korean. So now you can better fit your environment. You don't want to have too much information coming in and you don't know where to focus. That's why kids are running around like crazy all the time, right? <laughs> when they start to get around seven, they start to be able to focus a little more. That's why we put them in first grade. So what we want to make, be very clear about is as up until you're about 23 or four, these neurons are being selected out so you can best fit your environment. If your environment is violent, if your environment is, dis, your environment is dysfunctional, we're selecting in those structures so that child would be dysfunctional. So he could be violent. Now, this is, this is, it doesn't mean they have to be that way. That's why the work that you're doing is so vital. There's, there's ways that we can intercede in children's lives and re, reactivate some of these epigenetic, what we call above genetic, which has your genes expressed in a different way. Some of our environmental factors we can change for these children. And literally what we start to do is rebuild the structures 
that were damaged in them before. And the reason most of them want to do drugs and alcohol is because they don't know how to self-satiate themselves. They grew up with stress. Stress hormone is given off by cortisol, the top of your adrenal gland. It goes into your brain. And what it does is the higher the cortisol, the lower the learning. That's why kids under stress don't learn well. The higher the cortisol, the slower the, the, the behavior change. Mm. So when we, when we create environments like what you're doing, Alan, which is beautiful in the world, what we're doing is we're helping children have a relationship, which lowers cortisol with adults. We're helping them see there's really nothing wrong with them, which lowers cortisol. We're giving them alternatives, which lowers cortisol. All of that is like, even though we're lowering the stress hormone, we're doing something else. We're increasing dopamine, serotonin, GABA, these more relaxation and focusing mm-hmm. neurotransmitters that are like throwing fertilizer on neural tissue, which starts to grow. And really, that's why what you're doing is so vital to children and parents. So what are some things that that parents can do or that teachers can do? In fact, I, I wanted to touch on something uh, because we had mentioned Alan Bloom's book uh, and uh, Alan's Bloom and Alan Bloom in no way in that book was criticizing teachers. Uh, in fact, he was complimenting teachers that are doing everything they can, but he was criticizing the government and the people the making, uh, setting up the system. But he's, you know, so anyway, I, I wanted to make sure that when we touched on that, uh, we, we have a lot of teachers that send in questions and that send in comments. Uh, what are some of the things that they can do uh, s- still having to deal within the structure that they're in that can start to make changes in the students now? Well, you know, most teachers are doing this. Once a child knows you care, everything changes. Mm-hmm. And once the teacher can get out of this is how we fix you, did, 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 you know, because if the kid, you know, they're, they're not ready for that. What, the, what they're, most of them are looking for is a level of love they're not getting from themselves or others. I know it sounds trite, but the truth is love's driving us all, dude, whether we like it or not. Neurochemically, it's the endorphins, it's the GABA, it's the dopamine. You know, we're looking for that love, that relationship. And when the teacher can have a relationship where she, where the child knows the child is being seen, not being directed, oh, we're going to help you get A's is not what we're trying to do. What we're going to, what we want to do is, is, as educators and, and those of us in the health industry that want to support children with behavioral issues, what we want you is to understand who you are at a deep level so you can be who you want to be in the world. And I'm here to help you do that no matter what. I am on your side. Because a lot of these kids, though they may have parents that are interested and care about them or the opposite that don't, a lot of times the ones that care about them wanted to do it their way, the way they learned, the way they got successful. And their brain plan as a parent is different than the child's brain plan. There's a different genius in each one of us. So what we need to do is take this time not to think that we have all the answers. Look, I've been working in the educational system now for 30 years. Every year, there's a new hot product that's going to change everything. And they last for who moved my cheese, the one-minute manager. We get it in business, too. Some of them are very good, but they don't stick. Why don't they stick? Well, at the Institute, our belief is they don't stick because people didn't understand the underlying neurobiology of why they should stick or should be thrown out. Mm-hmm. Right? And then we can use the ones that change brain structures. So people literally change. So to answer your love is the first thing that, it, that, that somebody that can deal with a child 
can deal with, we can focus on. The second thing is recognizing the stress level of a child. Um, when stress goes up, learning goes down are, are, in memory. Are you familiar with some of the research on um, eyewitness accounts of accidents? Uh, yes. They're awful, right? Yep. Why are they awful? Stress hormone goes up, literally corrupts communication per, per neurons, and memory goes down. So we have an educational system at the moment that starts with you got to go to seven classes a day. You got to do your homework. Mm -hmm. You got to get ready for this test. You got to play football. You got to join them. I mean, it's a freaking stress factories. Yeah. So what we're so are we really helping children? I don't know. You know, I mean, it may look okay on paper, but what's happening in the real world is they're not very happy and not very successful. So by shifting to these more biological mechanisms, we can start help help children see who they are and use that to expand themselves in the world so they get more of what they want instead of what the system wants them to have. You understand? The system Absolutely. wants you to get A's. The system doesn't say, we're going to build a system that makes you rich and happy, Yeah, which no, we I, should. Huh? Well, we, we've got some questions that have come in. Uh, and again, I want to thank those that take the time to send in the questions. Uh, this first one reads, uh, I have been told that our 12-year-old autistic son is off the charts brilliant in science and mathematics. Unfortunately, as with the vast majority of other children experienced with this condition, he can't hold a simple conversation. Are there any learning modalities that children such as our son can use to help them with these limitations? Nothing we have read anywhere gives us hope and we worry a great deal about what will happen to him when we are gone. And this is from Nancy in Alabama. And yeah, Nancy, I got, I got, you know, I uh, have dealt with a lot of kids like that. It breaks my heart. Um, and here's what happens. The system is trying to get your child to do X. And then they're probably giving you a lot of things to have them do X. Autism is a spectrum and it's very complex. They try to make it a little simpler than it is. But really all autism is, is an overabundance of neurons that has the child focus in an area that is most joyful to him. And then what you want to do is recognize that in your child. Don't try to change it right away. Recognize whatever it is that, you know, you know, sometime, you know, I, I don't do this much, but she's more than pleased. You can give her my phone number. I'll talk to her. But what we want to, what we want to do is we want, to, we want to get stimulation to the part of the brain that gives him joy. And what happens is autism on a spectrum, the way your son is out here pretty far, is that when he's not satiating those structures and you try to do other things, it creates neural static and he reacts out. So what we have to first do is, one, you have to relax because your anxiety around your children there's a thing like a, a tuning fork. You bang a tuning fork and it vibrates at a certain frequency. Whether you like it or not, a tuning fork ne next to it's going to resonate the same way. So the first thing we need to do with you and your family is just calm down. Mm -hmm. There's an opportunity here that you may not realize. Your child is a You know you see the gift in your child. Mm -hmm. But really, it's a gift to you to see the world differently, too. So we need to reduce your stress hormone making sure you're eating right, making sure you're exercising, making sure meditation is really incredible. Now, and this is why I'd have to talk to you. Mm -hmm. Sometimes these autistic children can meditate. The reason they're freaking out 
is because when you're not accessing that gift, that really that overabundance of neurons makes your child a genius, way a genius. The other kids don't. The problem is it's overdeveloped, right? But you take right. Einstein and some of these other people that have made a change in our world, you could, you've got a good reason to say they were a little autistic on the scale also. Einstein only hardly you know, wrote any of his papers. He had his wives do it because his language skills were so bad. The writing skills were so bad. So um, what, I'm, what I'm thinking was, if you could meditate and then maybe start with your child meditating, there's these apps like Headspace and Mind mm-hmm. Valley. I would go on there and start meditating because what that does is it engages his parasympathetic, his relaxation system. So when you do in, 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 integrate or, or implement something new to him, he doesn't freak out as much. So what you're always trying to do is control stress hormone. And if you start off with a base, like he wakes up in the morning, two or three minutes meditating, most important, you do the same thing, five minutes meditating. These apps can help you do it. You're going to start changing the vibratory frequency of your household, your internal vibratory frequency, and his to be more and more apt to drop into these more parasympathetic, relaxed states naturally. Um, JW, this is this is so good, and and I just looked over and I saw we've only got about a minute. We've got another question that has come in. So I'll go fast. No, 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 but isn't that, but I just want to make sure I get this in. Um, okay. w- once we get done, uh, you know, let, let me t- talk to my producer. Let's get with your schedule and see when you can get you back on, because I think there's so much more here that I would love to be able to go into. Yeah. This is great. Uh, so this next question is, um, if educating children wasn't already a struggle, we've been hit with a sledgehammer in California by this lockdown. Uh, I'm a ninth grade teacher who is trying to conduct one-on-one and uh, 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 and classroom teaching online. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, the school board has advised us that it is necessary at this time to lower our standards, or in quotes, which means we are little more than a poorly run assembly line pushing kids up the ladder without them actually being held accountable. I would truly love for our students to walk away with something of value. My question is, does the learning code work in an online setting, I'm anxious to read the book in any case. And this is from Danielle in California. Danielle, you, you just set me up, Daniel. Thank you, Danielle. So, yes, we're re- releasing a thing called Cracking the Learning Code for Homeschool Parents. This, you could use this. That's going to be our first one. We were launching Cracking the Learning Code for Teachers. But for Cracking Learn for Homeschool Parents, what we do is we talk about above the line. Everything below the line is memorization, everything you're doing as a teacher, the curriculum, all that stuff you have to do, um, standardized tests, all that. The real question is, what is the child's mindset above the line before they start trying to do all this stuff below the line? What we talk about, and you'll love this online program and the book, all we talk about is changing the child's mindset so they want to dive in and do naturally what's below the line because they're self-motivated to do that. But you can't do that by using reward and punishment. Reward and punishment only only works when the candy bar or the stick is present. You remove them, people revert back to their old behaviors. That's why criticism recidivism rate is between 70 to 80%. It doesn't work. Mm -hmm. We keep sending them there. So the same thing you want to do with your child is spend time to understand what's most meaningful to each one of those children and help them get more of it. And you will get this from our online programs and you'll get that from the book. 
All right. For everybody out there, the book is being released in June. Um, is this something that can be pre-ordered online? Yeah. Well, we've been so busy. We're just setting up our site. They can go to the learningcode.com, T-H-E, learningcode.com, and sign up. Uh, just sign up for the newsletter and everything else, and we'll alert you when you get the book, when the book's available for you. And you can okay. pre-order. Okay. That, that would be great. Uh, and... Uh, Again, thank you so much. Uh, you, you mentioned in regards to being able to get a hold of you. Is there an email or something? I don't want to give a phone number or anything, but is what, what would be the best way for someone that either wants uh, to get- I'm at jw at crackingthelearningcode.com. And I got to be honest, we are so, for this launch, like I, I mentioned, I would yeah. speak to that lady. I'll definitely speak with her and her child with autism. I'd like to do that. But if you could reach out to me, just wait 60 days. And yeah. then we'll get back to you. I'll have my team in place. But right now we're pretty overwhelmed um, with building and implementing all the pieces. But in 60 days, we'll be back. And the website, will, you'll have a lot of great information on the website in another another week or two. And you can go back there and get a lot also. Okay. Well, then that may be perfect timing. Let's try to set this up to have you on again in about 60 days when the launch is done. And That'd we can post that as well. That'd be great. I'm- Alan, thank you so very much. And you're doing wonderful work. Thank you so much. Thank you, as are you. And I love the fact that, that you know, I talk about this show. I want to bring positive things. This is something that can help the next generation change the world in such a positive way. Uh, we just need to get it out there. So anything I can do to help get it out, I'm, I'm going to do it. We'll help each other, buddy. All right. You got it. Take care. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. All right. Thank For everybody you. out Thanks, there. Everybody. Thank you. Uh, Please come in. Join us next week when we're joined by Cheryl Meyer to discuss her new book. It feels good to feel good. So learn to eliminate toxins and protect your health. In this interview, Cheryl shares how it feels good to feel good is for anyone with a chronic disease who wants to be more proactive with their own health. Now, filled with the whys and the hows and the to do's. It is a masterful resource for anyone who is seeking to recover their health and thrive into old age. And for everybody out there, please visit our archives of past interviews at answers.network, or you can subscribe to the show through iTunes, iHeart, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, YouTube, Spreaker, and so many other platforms. Whatever platform you listen to us on, we should be on there. If we're not, tell them to add us. If you like what you hear, please leave a review. It will help us reach more people. I want you to know we greatly appreciate it. This is one of the ways in which we together can make a positive difference. For everybody out there, be good human beings and be with us again next week on Answers Network. You're listening to Answers Network with Alan Cardoza, only on LA Talk Radio. 